0: Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wassalatu wassalam ala rasulillah Dear brothers and sisters, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi barakatuh I'm your host, Fatima, barakatullah. Uh, welcome to this episode of the Ilmfeed podcast, where I have a special guest, uh, one of my mentors, uh, Sheikh Yawar Beg, Mirza Yawar Beg. As-salamu alaikum, Sheikh Yawar.
1: Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Very nice to... Uh... Meet again virtually after several years. How? How? When? When? When was the last LEC that we met in in London? Uh, Subhanallah, uh, yeah.
0: leadership excellence uh, course. course, right? Yeah. yeah, it was. um It was a number of years ago. I I, yeah. I don't quite, remember quite the exact a, year.
1: Yeah, probably. I think probably around maybe 2012 or something like that uh or yeah 14 because i was in london on in 2014 and 2015 to speak at the international conference on uh on faith-based education uh in london and oxford and this was the lec was before that if i am not mistaken so it could be 2012 or something like that yes yeah. that's a number of years
0: so for for our viewers and listeners who might not be familiar with you although I did check, Sheikh Yawar, and I saw that your Fajr Reminders are one of the most popular podcasts in Britain under the (laughs) Islam category. So Um, I think most people are familiar with you, mashallah. um, But for those uh, brothers and sisters who might not have come across your work, um, Sheikh Yawar is, subhanAllah, so many things. He's an international speaker, author, life coach, corporate consultant, uh, and... He says that he, he hopes through his work to bridge the gulf between Islamic theology and its application in the modern context. And I came across Sheikh Yawar's work, and a lot of du'at in the UK, I think, have you know, benefited from Sheikh Yawar through his leadership courses, leadership training courses, and um, we attended one that was residential a few years ago, which is what Sheikh Yawar is um, referring to. And I have your book here, Sheikh uh Leadership Lessons from the Life of Rasulullah, sallallahu uh, alaihi wasallam, that alayhi. you kindly gifted to me all those years ago. Um, Sheikh, I, I don't know where to start. I mean, first of all, let me ask you, what are your reflections on the pandemic, you know, and the last year or so, you know, that we've just experienced? And what's it been like for you?
1: You know, I came to America um, in September 2019. And uh, I was reflecting, I thought to myself that if, as I walked off the plane in uh, Boston in September 2019, If somebody had said to me that in two months from now, or three months from now, there will be no planes flying in the air, there will be no work happening, industries will shut down, offices will shut down, you will not be able to leave your home, uh, I would say, you know, I would ask him, tell me what is it you are smoking, right? Because uh, (laughs) this, this doesn't happen, planes don't fly, I mean, give you a break for God's sake. So, but exactly that's what happened. I mean, the whole world came to, it's like running into a, a brick wall, right? Stopped completely. And um, I've done a couple of uh, podcasts and a couple of lectures as well on this. My reflection, the first and foremost reflection is really, I think, you know, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala asked us this question many times, but we did not answer him. And the question Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala asked us was, Fa'ayna ta Where are you going? Where are you going? And we said, No, 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 hold on a second. I mean, I'm I'm very busy. No, I got I've got my work to do. I'm I'm here there. I will tell you when I have the time, I will tell you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stopped us dead in our tracks. So I think the first and foremost reflection for me was subhanallah, Where are you going? So I think this is uh if I if I say uh Biyadil Khair the the uh, in the hand of allah subhanahu wa taala there's only khair uh, this is the the positive aspect of the pandemic we don't ask for it we don't say that you know give us a pandemic for this to happen but alhamdulillah as it happened i think one of the biggest benefits that we we had was the opportunity to stop and think and say where am i going now, because Absolutely. of the nature of the pandemic, meaning that here was a deadly disease which could easily kill you and <laughs> there are over, over a couple of million people in the world who can now bear witness to the fact that this is not a uh, conspiracy theory and what not, you know, dead, dead, dead bodies don't lie. So, now this person, yeah. this uh, opportunity, because it was linked to that quite literally. Even though Rasulullah told us this many times, he said the most intelligent of you is the one who thinks of his death most often. He said, think of the one which which uh, takes away and removes all your pleasures. He said mm. that when you make salam on the left, do not believe uh, when you make salam on the right, do not believe that you would be able to complete the salam on your left. And so on and so on. But you know, we don't pay attention, now Billah, to what uh, Nabi Alayhi told us. So now Allah mm-hmm. brought it very graphically and very uh, in the face for us to say, well, here is what it is. Where are you going? Because this is literally death staring you in the face. Now you decide, where are you going? So we had the opportunity. I'm not saying that everyone took the opportunity. I'm not saying that everyone benefited from it, but Allah doesn't force anything. Allah has given us the opportunity to benefit and those of us who reflected and so on i think a lot of people did make a, make some very serious changes in their lives i mean i know several people who came to me and told me you know this is how i changed my life this is what i did alhamdulillah this is the positive aspect of it the mm-hmm. other thing of course is you know the the issue of working from home i mean somebody was was complaining to me He said oh you know this work from home and i said to him i said listen If you are working from home, it means two things. One, that you have a home and two, that you have work. So, start being grateful for that because… Stop complaining. Yeah, stop complaining (laughs) because because there are people who don't have either of these. They don't have a home, they're on the street, right? Mm -hmm. They're living out of a shopping cart and sleeping in in doorways in the night. Or there are people who may have a home, but they don't have work, so they've got problems. You don't have have a home and you have one. So I think this is, it's it true. gave us an opportunity of uh, to to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I remember very soon after the pandemic, I'm involved in quite a lot of uh, interfaith work here as well. So there is one of the interfaith uh, councils that I'm a member of, and we had an interfaith gathering. So I began my speech, I, I had to speak for a while. So I began my speech by saying, let me request all of you, please take two deep breaths. So I said, <sighs> I said, now thank Allah that you are able to breathe, because when you die of COVID, you die of what? Respiratory failure, inability to breathe. So I said that, Alhamdulillah, we are able to breathe. So this is something that we need to thank Allah subhanahu wa taala for. It's supposedly simple things, but believe me, I mean it may be simple, but if you stop breathing, you know exactly how uh, important it is, right? So I think it gave mm. us a lot of opportunity. Obviously, it also created the pandemic has created will create and continues to create uh, a lot of stress some of the major ones uh, is uh, are the fact that from an islamic perspective from muslim perspective uh, it it uh, the, the the precautions we need to take are things that literally sort of go against our culture you know you cannot stand shoulder to shoulder in Salah, you cannot shake mm. hands you cannot hug somebody to to, to greet them for Eid. Uh, I mean, two Eids went past and may Allah give you and me and everyone uh, Ramadan al-Kareem bil-khair inshallah this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a um, you know, little over a month from now, we will have Eid al-Fitr again, the second time in the pandemic. Uh, but we can't, we can't hug some, you know, you, our friend, we cannot, we cannot greet them in the way we normally do. Uh, so, mm-hmm. all of these things, including gatherings, I mean, this is fine. I, 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 see, everything has two sides to it. For example, um, we used to have so I mean I've now for over two years almost uh, we haven't had I haven't uh, traveled anywhere and for me that's a big thing because I used to travel you know six eight times a uh, year uh, in mm. ten- but now for the last two years I haven't gone anywhere and then all of our halakas and all that everything was person in person now everything is uh, is online. online. On The other side of it uh, in a normal you know a daily halakha after Shana I used to have. Uh, you would have maybe 20 people 25 people and we used to say wow 25 people the halakha. now if you look at the, the the daily classes that i do monday through thursday you've got 80 90 100 over 100 people so i mean, i'm saying you know this is uh, because people are able mm. to see them in their own time and so on so there is a there is a positive side and obviously there is a there is a difficult side we ask allah subhanahu wa taala to ease that uh, that difficulty inshallah
0: Mean, JazakAllah khairan. Thank you for your reflections. Yes, absolutely. I think it's definitely it definitely caused all of us to stop in our tracks, right, and reassess where we're going, where we've been, what we were in the middle of when it started, right? SubhanAllah. Yes. Um, JazakAllah khairan. Sheikh, um, I was reading your book, and one of the things you say in it is, my premise is this. Since he was able to change his world and take his people from being the most insignificant, oppressed, and weakest to becoming the predominant, admired, and strongest in just one generation, if we learn how he was able to do it, we will be able to learn how to succeed in our world today. And, mashallah, your book is like a... An ana- analysis of some of the key leadership qualities that, ras- that we can learn from Rasulullah In our times, um, for somebody who is not familiar with the kind of leadership space um, Who thinks, okay, a leader is basically the head of an organisation Or the person who stands in front, or an imam, or... Or for sisters who are listening who think, well, it doesn't really apply to women or something, you know. How would you introduce people to leadership and and what it means and what we can, in essence, learn from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa (laughs) sallam?
1: You know, I I want to uh, say a few words about the book uh, very quickly before this, with your permission. Uh, it's interesting. My one of my dearest friends, and also my Ustad in many ways, Had uh, Ibrahim Bahmsha Dan the Secretary General of the South uh, of the Jama-Tolema in South Africa. Um, mm-hmm. I was in South Africa. I go to South Africa uh, oh yeah. <laughs> again. Last two years I haven't been, but I mean otherwise I, I go to South Africa every year. Uh, so one day Malana Bham, he, told, he said to me, uh, you know, you are. Uh, uh, you do all this work in leadership, why don't you write a book on the leadership style of Rasulullah salasalam? So, I think uh, I asked Allah wa ta'ala to reward uh, Manana Abam for the idea and to give him the ajr of, of this book, inshallah. It was a beautiful, I- mm-hmm. beautiful idea from, uh, you know, a wonderful person. And uh, so, I started researching uh, for this and uh, then i was invited to speak at the international islamic conference uh, what's called the international hajj conference uh, in uh, makkah in 2008 and after hajj and so on uh, we were uh, going to medina um, and as we were in the bus the whole they had invited about uh, you know 30 or 40 ulama from all over the world and as we were going in this bus i was sitting right in the front uh, and I started seeing the minarets, the minars, uh, the towers of the Haram. And I thought to myself that what is it that, uh, you know, what... How must this thing have seen or uh, been visible when Rasulullah well, sallallahu alayhi al sallam when they made their hijrah, um, what were they seeing? Because obviously there was no masjid there, no towers, mm. and stuff. Like, you know um so i said here was a, a, literally an insignificant little village uh in in the middle of nowhere right um and that the light that came out of that okay that's why it's called mm-hmm. Munawwara. Uh, the light that came out of that illuminated the whole world and continues to do 14 centuries later and it will do until allah Subhanahu wa Taala keeps this world i mean what was it that that enabled this to happen. So, that was my uh, my thought in this whole thing. So, I mm. looked at the Seerah of Nabi in a very different way from uh, the usual way in which Seerah is written, which is like a history or a biography. I looked at it not from a chronological perspective of, you know, he was born and, and, and so on and so forth and when and how he grew up and so forth. I said, what is it of his leadership style and his leadership methods that we can learn which are applicable for us today in our world. So my whole focus was always uh, not just regarding what happened because we know that there are plenty of people written that. I'm saying, how is that applicable today?
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: alhamdulillah, Allah gave this, uh, I mean, I don't take any royalty on this book as you know, uh, but Allah gave this so much, uh, you know, uh, barakah. This is out of my 40 books, this is the one which is the highest selling. Um, this book has uh, been translated into five languages. Uh, so sure. it's in Arabic, Hausa, Malayalam, Tamil, uh, and English. So it's, it's five uh, languages. And uh, Alhamdulillah, this is, uh, you know, so I, I'm very grateful to Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala for, uh, I asked Him to make this a, a legacy for me when I meet Him, inshallah. Now, um, the point, as I said, uh, like you said in this thing, you know, the, the by premise, is here is a formula, you know, like in, 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 to to link it back again to my to my corporate work in uh, corporations. When we do any introduction of any initiative, um, mm-hmm. especially if it is an initiative which is uh, which might be rather rad- radical in nature, right? Mm-hmm. Then um, the standard procedure is we we go to the company and we say, let us run a pilot project in a small area. And uh, then, uh, you know, and we'll show you what's called proof of concept. So, here is our concept. We will sh- run a pilot project in a small area for proof of concept. And then, if you like that, this you can now, uh, you know, uh, roll out.
0: You yeah, can yeah, roll, roll out it out. In, yeah. in the
1: whole like now, in my view, the life of Rasulullah well, and his uh, life, both in Mecca and madina was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creating a proof of concept that islam works what's the concept mm. Islam works and the proof of concept is the seerah of muhammad and so i'm saying here that if this and we have proof i mean this is not a matter of belief this is history we have as we said history where he applied a methodology and it was a thunderous success Now, if you apply the same methodology today, it should work. Now, there is another another context, which is that a proof of concept also depends on circumstances. So, if I'm applying a proof of concept in one situation, you might say, well, you know, that thing worked in that situation. But today, our situation is completely different. So, how will it work? Mm -hmm. Now, this is where I try to bridge the gap between theology and history and the modern context and my submission and my claim is that conceptually speaking there is no difference between the makkah and madina of rasulullah sallam and our world today conceptually speaking the only difference is a difference of scale what was happening in the makkah of rasulullah sallam is happening today globally now, to give you a, mm-hmm. a few uh, small snippets of how, of, of why I say that, for example, Makkah was not ruled by a king. Makkah was ruled by a group of wealthy businessmen, right? Now, believe yeah. me, no matter how much people like to talk about democracy, democracy as in the original idea of the Greek city-states died with the Greek city-states. <laughs> what happens yeah. today is an oligarchy. Everywhere in the world we call it democracy. Putin calls what he runs as a democracy. Uh, the Chinese guy calls what he runs a democracy. So democracy is a, is a word which is very loosely used. But what actually operates in the world, whether it's in, in the United States, whether it's in England, whether it's in the, in India, wherever, is really oligarchies, which is... A group of wealthy businessmen run the world. Right? Mm. And sad to say, it's all businessmen. There are no women involved in, the, in, in all this, right? There's a bunch of men. <laughs> uh, if you take today, for example, the uh, World Bank figures and say uh, global wealth, there are eight men, and all of them are eight white men, literally, quite literally eight white men, who own collectively their assets are more than the collective assets of 50% of the rest of the world. Right. So this is the this is the reality. So now in Makkah there was no king. The place was run by a bunch of wealthy businessmen. So that is one. Second thing is the rule in Makkah. Operative rule was everything works. Whatever you like, you can do, provided you have the money to pay for it. Right? There was no moral code, and there was no. You know ethics and so on and so forth. As long as you could pay for it, you could do it. So every conceivable uh, social, uh, you know, evil, moral evil was present, and it was a means of earning money. So the single mm-hmm. driving, um, the single driver was: does it make money? Right now, does this? Does all this sound familiar uh, in in our <laughs> modern context today? Exactly the same thing. Third thing, mm. the banking system. Now let us not believe that Makkah was a little village in the middle of nowhere and you know people had little uh, tea shops. They didn't. The The business people in Makkah, people like abdurrahman ibn Auf, Osman ibn Affan, uh, Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib and others, these people were global businessmen not only comparable to anybody today, but in some cases exceeding them. if you take the net present value of money, they had their money was worth more than what we have today, right? These people did international transactions, they used banking instruments, which today we have different names for it. but believe me, if you mm-hmm. brought Sufyan, if you brought Abdullah bin uh, if, you, if you brought Abbas bin Abdul Muttalib, to Wall Street or if you brought them to the Federal Reserve or you brought them to the the World Bank and if you show them how things operate, believe me, they would be probably surprised at, you know, what computers can do and so on and so forth. But they would have absolutely no problem understanding letters of credit, understanding all kinds of financial instruments that we use today because they use exactly the same
0: things, right? Mm, That's that's, that's very interesting that you say that because... um, Uh, I've been studying Islamic finance in the last year. And one of the things that, you know, Western academics, they usually say is, you know, these principles, these orthodox principles, they sound nice, but they're unworkable in the real world, right? And even some Muslim academics kind of go down this road and they try to make out that, you know, um, no, you can't ban interest in the modern world. You can't. You can't have the same system uh, because they use the argument that things are much more complicated now and things are much more sophisticated and etc. etc. Right. But I think you're absolutely right because when you strip human beings down to their basics, human nature doesn't change. Right. Relative. No, <laughs> human nature doesn't change. So the same issues, the same problems, the same. Even the same characters, right, that existed at the time of the Prophet ﷺ no, no, no. exist today. Yes. The same greed that humans had is yeah. the same greed that exists today. And it, it it manifests itself in the same way as well. So I think it's smoke and mirrors. You know, people try to make it seem like, oh, you know, Islam is not workable. Did those ethics, they were they might have worked in a simple economy, but, you know... They can't work in the real world. Oh, I think it's a myth.
1: myth. Absolute myth. I mean, I, I, my my contention, and I'm saying historically provable contention, is that the only difference between that world and this world is really in terms of technology and logistics, nothing more. They mm. didn't have computers, we have computers, right? Uh, they didn't have uh, institutions like... Uh, a, a, uh, I mean, they, they even had... For example, they had what today you would call... Uh, joint stock companies, right? I mean, what what oh, do you yeah. want? I mean, they, they traded in <laughs> shares. They actually traded in shares because people bought shares in businesses and and they got profit and they got dividends on those shares. So what do you, what, what do you want? to Call it? now. They they you know the, the whole point is that business is not as complicated as people like to make it out. So it's yes. the same principles which are which worked. See, I mean, it, 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 it makes it made sense. For example, now you had these big businessmen. Uh, they had their trade caravans. They would go from, uh, you know, as, as we know, uh, yeah, they were yeah, safe. safe. So they would go to uh, north to what is called today Syria, which was actually not Syria, Syria was uh, which was mm-hmm. the Roman Empire, and then they went south to uh, Yemen, which was part of the uh, Persian Empire. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. if you are a big businessman and if you are going there to buy things and sell things. And the currency in those days was gold, right? It was all gold and silver. Now imagine you—you mm-hmm. uh, you would be traveling through the desert uh, with camel loads of gold and silver. That—that that makes absolutely zero sense because then you become—you have a—you—it's like walking with a target on your back, right? You will become the—the—the—the mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the, the point of attention of every single bandit on the face of the earth. So obviously, they no—they didn't travel like that. They didn't carry around big bunch, big amounts of gold and gold and silver. So what do they do? They use letters of credit right they do they did letters of credit they did they used uh, you know all kinds of things that we use today uh, which are financial instruments and, and they did that very successfully with that that's what made sense now today we have all of that stuff on 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 the cloud or on a hard drive somewhere they had it written down but big deal i mean that's not a difference you know yeah. so it is everything is applicable the issue is the Islam didn't come to teach us, including, for example, Islamic finance, Islam didn't come to teach us the financial instruments, right? Islam came to teach us the principles that the were principles.
0: them, right? right? What
1: is it based on? It is based on accountability to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is based on trust. It is based on honor. It is based on compassion. It's based on collective responsibility for the world. Islam says it is not okay if I have wealth to use it in ways which are harmful to others. Today, we have entire global economies, which are based on the manufacture and sale of uh, deadly weapons, on, of weapons of mass destruction, right? And the same people who manufacture and sell weapons of mass, destructions, ma- mass destruction, who do they sell it to? They sell it to people who want to use it. Who are those people? Those people are dictators. And on the top of all that, These two groups want to sit together and talk about the importance of peace. Now, my point is, how is it going to happen? Please tell me. You want to have your whole economy based on the manufacture and sale of weapons of mass destruction, and you want peace? I mean, this is completely
0: insane. Zero
1: sense. So, I'm saying here that, you know, uh, I I don't want to sort of go off the track, but my point is that uh, the principles that operated in the time of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, uh, mm-hmm. Say like you said, human nature does not change, ethics and values do not change. Lying always will be a uh, a problem or a, and a sin, no matter how many lies you tell. Nobody is going to tell you, I'm going to run a class now on how to lie, uh, you know, uh, convincingly and how to tell convincing <laughs> lies. I mean, have you ever heard that? Heard that? No. Be- even people who actually teach that, for example, <laughs> May I, May Allah, forgive me for saying that a lot of advertising is that. But people, nobody will actually call it by that name. Maybe we should yes. do that. You know, Let me run a, cl- a class on how to tell convincing lies. But the point is that irrespective of that, uh, what is good will remain good and what is not good will, will, will remain uh, evil because of the effects of that. And this is what right. we find from the life of Allah. So here was a pilot project that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala enabled him to create proof of concept that Islam works and Islam works the way he ran it. So I'm not talking about changing Islam. I mean, that's the, that, that's the thing I want to make you know, very clear. I'm not talking about changing Islam. I'm not saying, oh, you know, this rule was then uh, no longer valid today in our modern world. So let's get rid of it. No, 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 no. There's nothing in Islam, Alhamdulillah, which is invalid. Islam is the religion that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us. So it does not need upgrades. It does not need, uh, you know, changes. It does not need to be uh, reinvented. What needs to be done is to change the way we approach it and the way we apply it because the world has changed. So the principles remain the same. The tools, the application methodology and the application context will be different given the fact that now we have a, very different world, but again, like you said, it's not different in terms of its structure, in terms of its principles. It's in mm. terms of the outside of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Sheikh. Um, yeah. uh, but to go back to my question um yes. about leadership, you know, like how would you sum up what leadership is? Because as I said, people think it means like being the head of an organization, being the person in front, being I don't know. You know, they think it there's a certain personality or a certain uh role that means you're a leader. What is the concept of leadership that you that you talk about and that you promote?
1: You know what I say, to me, leadership is the willingness to take responsibility for yourself. Right? Whichever situation you might be in, so potentially every single man or woman, irrespective of age, including children are potentially leaders. It depends on how they view themselves and they view their circumstances. So anyone who is trying to pass off the blame to somebody else, that person may be the the president or prime minister of our country, but that person is not a leader because they are dumping <laughs> stuff on somebody else. And I believe there are lots of familiar names with that, right? On the other mm-hmm. hand, you might have a person who is uh, an individual, maybe, you know, a, a mother, maybe a, a daughter, maybe a school teacher, uh, maybe anybody, right? I'm I, Including managers in organizations and whatnot an individual who is willing to take responsibility for themselves their actions and the consequences of their actions that person mm-hmm. is a leader no matter who follows them or doesn't follow them that does that is not an indication of leadership uh it's it's a question of me if 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 that were an indication of leadership what would you say to say about noah al isra right uh 900 years 950 years of uh uh, Dawa, yeah, yeah, of, yeah, of Dawa, and uh, <laughs> how many people followed him. It. So it's not a, it's not a mm. numbers game. It's not a numbers game. No. Today we are stuck with this thing, especially in the world of Dawa, we are stuck with the issue of you know how many uh, likes you have on Facebook or how many hits you have on YouTube. It has absolutely zero meaning whatsoever. It makes no sense whatsoever. The point is that leadership is to take responsibility and ownership for yourself and for your actions and the consequences of those actions. So which Mm -hmm. which automatically means you are now also holding yourself responsible for the effect that you create in the world. So it's not okay to do something which is negative, which is harming people and saying, no, this is my leadership uh, initiative. No, it's not. Uh, If if it's something you're doing, which is causing negativity around, uh, then this is not leadership.
0: Thank you for explaining uh, leadership. So that, so that means potentially anyone in whatever role they find themselves in in life can benefit from leadership yes. qualities, right? From learning leadership qualities. Yeah. So uh, how about if Provide, I go through...
1: Provided, provided they choose to. I think that's a very important thing. Because as mm. I said, somebody who takes ownership for themselves, their lives, their circumstances... So, it, it is up to you, I mean, it's up to the individual. Uh, if you want to be a leader, you can be a leader, nobody can stop you. You don't need a designation, you know, don't need appointment, you don't need anything, You it's up to you. Do you choose to be a leader or not? So I think that is something that uh, uh, people must must understand. It's up to us.
0: So, Sheikh, I'm going to take a, a few, maybe two or three of the qualities that you mentioned in, in your book. And I want you to please uh, just answer some of my questions regarding them and just explain how a person could, how the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi manifested this quality and how we could potentially. So one of the leadership qualities you had is complete certainty in his belief and message. Now, the thing is that most of us, when we're starting a new project or we're involved in a new venture, we don't have complete certainty. You know, like we actually have a lot of self doubt. We're worried if we're gonna cut it, you know, if we've got the skills, uh, we're we're worried if we're gonna be able to raise the money. If we, you know, there's so many things. Um, how did the Prophet of manifest certainty and how would we do it when we don't have revelation coming you know, directly down to us, telling us, your project is great, you know, your project is good.
1: Right. See, uh, let, let me, let me um, maybe qualify that statement a little bit, yeah. which is, um, I'm not talking about what's in your heart. We don't know this, right? But what the world sees is what comes across. So mm. manifest and demonstrate complete certainty. Now, having said that, believe me, play acting cannot be sustained. So if you are really doubtful, then it is very doubtful that you can sustain that for any length of time or for, uh, you know, for, for any, uh, you know, for, 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 too many people. Uh, so it is necessary to be certain yourself, but even if you are not completely certain, as long as you don't. Uh, don't show that doubt in your voice, in your, in your projections, uh, then usually that's okay. People will still believe you because you speak uh, convincingly and you live by what you are talking about. Um, but it's necessary, long and short of it is, it is necessary to be sure about uh, your project and yourself. Now, in that context, of course, one needs to be sure. Uh, you know, you need to... Uh, convince yourself, and uh, I, th- I think I, I tell people. I mean, the, the simplest thing is to uh, to remind yourself that if you are not convinced, then how are you going to convince anybody else? So it's uh, it's, it's very important to uh, ensure that you can convince uh, that you are sure about what you are doing. And as I said, in the process, while you are getting sure and so forth, uh, never show any doubt. Now. What happens to us, as you said, we are not receiving any revelation, Uh, but what happens to us and what's a good, uh, very good aid is to have maybe one or two people, not more than that, uh, who can be mentors to you in this project. Now Mm -hmm. who is that mentor? That person is somebody who actually has belief and faith in you, in your ability to succeed. Number one. Uh, You don't want to take somebody as a mentor who spends all their time criticizing you. That's not good. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm not… I'm not saying At the same time, you don't want a mentor who's uh, just, you know, flattering you, which is lies, yes, right? Yes. You, you don't want lies. You want fact, but you want somebody to be able to tell you, you know what, I think that's a great job you are doing and not just say it like that, I mean, meaning this is the reason I am saying that, back it up with data in terms of feedback. So you can learn from this and say that the job I am doing is a good job and it is right for these reasons. So mm-hmm. I think that's very important to have a mentor who is uh, who is supportive, who is encouraging, but also somebody who can tell you what you need to hear, not only what you want to hear. Mm. So it's a yes. it's a balance. Uh, as I said again, and I'm repeating that, there's no good having people in your life, when you're starting off on projects and so on, who are overly critical, who are constantly… Uh, you know, there are some people who are very discouraging and the usual ways, oh, you know, I tried that, it didn't work, so it won't work. <laughs> now, my point is, yes. you tried it, it, didn't work for you, doesn't mean it doesn't, won't work for me. Yeah, you know, yeah. it, it, that's, that's crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm a different human being. So, just because it didn't work for you, uh, you have no right to tell me that it won't work period uh, and it also won't work for me so i think that those people don't even get involved in arguing with them just you know mm. they are not the people you want to be uh, to be with or you want to have them as your mentors i think that's very important uh, so complete certainty is uh, is very very critical i mean and with, with rasulullah of course obviously because he was re- receiving revelation and so on so I'm not saying he had it easy, but obviously his, uh, you know, his, uh, yeah. his his frame of reference was different. But uh, in our context, we can still apply the same frame of reference in terms of our own certainty. Final point I want to make is this, we are not receiving revelation, but Allah is there for us also. So therefore, mm-hmm. if I take my project idea, even with my, with my, uh, you know, at least temporary uh doubts in my mind then go and stand in tahajjud before allah subhanahu Wa ta'ala and beg allah subhanahu Wa ta'ala for his help subhanallah yes so this is the connection so now if you do that inshallah then the doubts will go because who is the one to give certainties of it ta'ala. the heart is the heart is in the hand of allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. so you say to allah i'm doing my best i'm trying now please guide me right allah yes I said, Allah guide me. Now, guide me is not only in terms of, you know, guide me between halal and hala. Of course, that is definitely there. But guide me in my project.
0: Absolutely. Sheikh, do you think.
1: Technical details. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not
0: understanding mm. this
1: particular thing. How does it work? Show me. Who, who will guide me? I mean, the, the unfortunate thing is we have, um, you know, compartmentalized Islam and Islamic theology into one little box. You know, maybe with a dome on on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> a green dome, said, yeah. Yeah, only those. I mean, Allah <laughs> You want you want a recipe for for a very nice uh, sweet? Ask Allah, man. Who, who told you you can't ask Allah for recipes? Tell me.
0: Yes, <laughs> and and also that there is a type of ilham, isn't there? There's a type yes, of yeah. of uh, inspiration that yes. the believer receives. Like yeah. this, there there are times when you suddenly have an idea.
1: Yeah.
0: Or you suddenly meet somebody, somebody yeah, yeah. crosses your path or an, you see something that suddenly inspires you and you think, yeah. that's from Allah. You know, yeah. I, was look, I was waiting for this yeah. and suddenly that problem is solved or that yes. I've got an idea, right? Yeah, So we do yeah. have a type of inspiration even. Yes.
1: You see, mm. there is this, uh, one of my favorite authors is a guy called Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, yeah. And his book Outliers, which I, which I recommend mm. all the time. Now he's written another yes. book called Blink. Uh, it's blink. Worth yes. Reading. Blink. Right. Malcolm mm. Gladwell. Now he talks. What he's written in Blink is something like what I'm saying here. Yes. Which yes. is that you get. I mean, he he of course he doesn't talk in terms of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and so on. But I'm saying that this is where that's the reality of it. This is where it comes from, Uh, and this is Now, obviously, you don't go around saying after that, "Oh, you know, I'm getting Wahy now, So that's, <laughs> we should not. But the point yes. is that the thought comes, the the the, the certainty comes. Uh, from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala Jalla jalal and that's why combine that with it. Uh, do your best, and then pray tahajjud, especially tahajjud. I mean, I, I keep talking about tahajjud the whole time because it's such an important element of success. Is to uh, stand before mm-hmm. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala and beg Him for His help and ask Allah anything you want. I mean, Allah did not put a condition on you to say ask me only religious within quotes religious things. No every single thing to do with my life, who must I ask? I ask Allah
0: subhanahu oh, wa ta'ala. JazakAllah for reminding us, you know, because sometimes we have problems, we have thoughts in our head, and the last thing we'll think about is the Hajj. We'll think about yeah. every other professional therapist, so-and-so, that we would <laughs> be able to turn to. Yes. Um, and yet we have something that we could actually do every single night, right? Yes. JazakAllah Yes. Yeah. So another one of the qualities uh, or the leadership uh, lessons from Rasulullah that you highlight is um, putting yourself on the line. And I'm thinking that might be connected to a concept that somebody was talking to me about, which is servant leadership, or is that not connected?
1: Oh, it is connected, absolutely. It's connected. See, uh, putting yourself on the line You know, in entrepreneurship, my book on entrepreneurship also, the Entrepreneur's Diary, one of the most important lessons of entrepreneurship is that the entrepreneur himself or herself must Mm -hmm. make a significant investment in their own project, right?
0: Subhanallah. Major
1: investment, significant investment in the… Money? Does it have to be money? money, time, energy, everything, right? Significant. Mm. Meaning that you can't say, well, you know, I've got this project, I'm working on it uh, on weekends, and I'm coming to you and saying, Sister Fatima, why don't you invest in my project? And if you ask me, Sheikh, how much did you put in? No, 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 I, I'm i I'm, I'm, getting investment. No, excuse me, it doesn't <laughs> work like that, right? It doesn't work like that. If it is your project, then you want to know how much did I put in. And if I'm doing it on weekends, no, no, hold on, Sheikh, I mean, you know, when you come to doing it the whole week then come to me right i, I this, is, this is a hobby this is not this is not your project your hobby fine most welcome do your hobby don't leave me out of it if you want me to be a serious investor in your project then i want to know that you are standing on that plank and if it breaks you fall into the sea i mean if you are if you are not if you don't have the confidence to be there don't ask me because it's your project and if even you don't have a confidence in that project don't expect me to have confidence i mean who am i right this is what this mm. what you will tell me so i think yeah. that is very important a significant investment of the person uh which is put yourself on the line leadership by definition is from the front who is a leader one who has followers where are the followers physically speaking before in front of you or behind you you know so if you are leading you got to be in the front there's no such thing as as leading from the back leadership is always from the front now, what is servant leadership? Servant leadership is really, uh, it, it is it is leadership. I mean, they, I don't know of any other leadership, which is other than that. Because who is a leader? A lead, one of the most significant roles and responsibilities of the leader is to take care of every need of the followers. Mm-hmm. Right? now. If the uh, this is what we like to call servant leadership, which is I'm serving the people, you're serving the people, but you are the person giving them direction, you are the person who whose uh, whose whose uh, who's, uh, life is on the line for that project. They lose a job, you, you lose your life. I mean, it's like that, right? Not not may not be literally, but I'm saying in, in the context of that. I mean, I've invested everything in my project, people are working for me. If my project sinks, they lose a job. They have to find another job, but I lose my home. I lose my. I lose everything because I put everything into that project. Now that is the kind of investment which actually brings out the results. So servant leadership is really, in one word, to hold yourself responsible for the welfare of those who are with you in that project. In every aspect, in in the entrepreneurship context, and you can see, you can see. Uh, reflections of this in the life of Rasulullah so Sallam. I know people who, uh, who, who are you know, entrepreneurs and leaders and business founders. In the, in the initial days, people have literally, there was a guy who was out on, on, a, on a sales trip when his wife, uh, when, the, when the child fell sick. So this business owner, he goes there, he takes the child to the hospital, sits all night in the hospital with that child. Right? Somebody else's child. He doesn't say, call the ambulance, go to the hospital, I'll pay the bill. No. He is in the hospital with the child. He doesn't have to do that. The mother is there and he can mm. still say, I'll pay the bill. But there's a difference between writing a check and putting yourself on the line. It's it's cool. taking the pain for your people. And that, pay, and that taking the pain for your people, believe me, is far more valuable than writing a check. By all means, feel free to write a check. But that does not substitute. And the same thing happened with, with Rasulullah well. Sallallahu Nabi Sallallahu well Alaihi Wasallam used to go, he used to be with the people. You know, he would help them yes. physically. Physically, he would help them. He would carry things for them. He would do things, things for them. He, he didn't need to do that. I mean, there, there were enough people. He could have told somebody else, go do this, and they would be happy to do that. He did it himself. And this is what Mm, and even
0: when he was fighting, when he was fighting, he was on the front line.
1: Absolute front line. He did not need to start on the front line. He could have been, he could have been like most generals at the back directing operations. He's right in the front. Mm. He got injured, he got hurt, he bled. Right?
0: It just occurred to me that as a shepherd, you learn servant leadership don't you because oh, yeah. you not only do you are, you are you responsible for leading the flock yes. you literally have to feed them you have to nurture them you have to <laughs> take care of all of their needs so yeah. and that's what most of the prophets had their training in right they did, did.
1: there is a, 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 a lecture and, a, and an article of mine on this on uh, being a shepherd of sheep and how that relates to leadership lessons, because uh, oh. all the prophets, but practically all the prophets, who were, they, they learned this. They, uh, one of the things about, about putting yourself on the line is that uh, one of the major roles of the shepherd as a protector of the flock is to put himself between his flock and the wolf.
0: SubhanAllah. And,
1: because yeah, the, never thought of that. the flock is being attacked by predators the shepherd is not going to sit at the back and say you know what all the sheep line up, now you know sheep number 3 charge forward no i mean he, the shepherd puts mm. himself on, if the wolf is attacking then the shepherd is there so you know kill me first before you can touch my flock mm. so this is the, that is the that's the whole uh, the uh, whole essence of leadership if, if the leader is not willing to put himself or herself on the line believe me there is no inspiration
0: Wow, that's a that's a very powerful reminder. Yeah, because sometimes I think we think of leadership as being in the most comfortable position in a way, uh, right? Like yes. having people carry your bags for you and yeah, um, yes. Yes. serve you, right? Yeah, uh, and that kind of does happen as well. Like especially if you're like a public speaker, you're somebody who's you know a guest of some of people. They're gonna sometimes treat you very in a very special way and you can get used to that
1: yep exactly no that's very true yeah
0: so one other quality that we can uh home in on uh is there any one of the qualities that you particularly like to to speak about and and share with people
1: You know, I think one of the qualities which I would really like to talk about is and especially in today's context, uh, it's a combination actually of two things. One is Rasul ability to bring people together, to build the ummah, as it were, which Mm -hmm. means to work with diversity, to work across boundaries, all kinds of boundaries. He had, he was dealing with boundaries of uh, race, of nationality, of color. Uh, of language, of uh, b- boundaries, of, um, of, of hierarchies, you know, who is uh, more yes. important, important and so upper on.
0: Upper class. So.
1: Yeah, upper class, lower class, uh, slaves, uh, and, and you know, the, the big uh, sheikhs of Quraysh uh, and so on. Uh, but he was able to build a brotherhood of faith. Uh, which uh, sad to say has never been uh, seen since. It was never seen before, but unfortunately, it seems to have again vanished. But the point is that he was able to do that. So, therefore, we have proof of concept that it is doable. It can be done. Provided we are willing to do it. So, this is the, 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 the big quality that and that comes out of a, uh, of, of a you know, the, 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 of having a big heart. Uh, And the willingness to forgive, I think that is Mm. a huge, huge, huge element of building uh, relationships and working across boundaries. You can never do that if you're not willing to forgive. The the, the, the other thing which he did, which uh, is combined with this, is his complete and total focus on meritocracy. Nasrullah gave people jobs and he gave them responsibilities. Based on their ability to do that job, their technical knowledge and mm. skill, not based on, not even based on their, uh, you know, I would say religious uh, level, right? Yeah, who yeah, can, yeah. Who can argue that the religious level and religious daraja of Abu Bakr al Siddiq uh, was higher than that of Khalid bin Walid? Radiallahu. Yeah, We are not, I'm not differentiating between, I'm just saying that if somebody told me that, if somebody asked me and said, who is, uh, who is religiously more, uh, you know, even
0: knowledgeable.
1: A, yeah, it is, it's not even a, it's not even a question, I yeah. mean, no. You know, between Abu yes. Bakr and anybody, right? Yeah. However, who did Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam appoint as Commander-in-Chief?
0: Not Abu Bakr. Mm. Yes.
1: He appointed Kharindu Walid, so the point the is one who is has the
0: military, the military prowess and the military acumen.
1: Yes, yes. The, document, the, the, yeah. track record, the track record, the competence, the ability, uh, and this is true, I mean, I, I I can tell you, you know, with Sahabi after Sahabi, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam appointed and gave prominence to people based on their competence in competence. that area. Mm. Now, that does not mean that the level of advocacy reduced, no. Nabi said, I have I have I have fulfilled uh, the rights of everyone except that of Abu Bakr and Allah will do it for him, for me, on my behalf. Now what's bigger than that? Right? So mm-hmm. his level, but in terms of competence, military prowess was not his was not his uh, his uh, uh, expert area, so Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi gives it to the person to whom it was, uh, for whom it was the expert area and so on. So right. these two things, the ability to work across boundaries. The ability to deal with difference, the ability to deal with with uh, dissidents, uh, with the disagreement, resolving conflicts, forgiving people, and the and the focus on meritocracy and quality. I think these are these are all related. I mean, these are not individual things in compartments. They're all related, and uh, this is, I think, a huge, huge, huge quality uh, of a great leader. And uh, again, this is something which works for anyone anywhere no matter what you are will you have an opportunity to resolve conflicts of course will you have an opportunity to work across boundaries of course today we are stuck with this thing right we have boundaries of madhab we have boundaries of uh, of including little furuat in the deen is not even fundamentals in the deen mm-hmm. right? small matters which are which Really, I mean, you know, I mean, my point is, if if that's important to you, do, do uh, practice it. I've got no problem with that. But you want to look (laughs) down on somebody else and you want to criticize somebody else because they uh, do the thing differently from you, this is ridiculous. But that is what is, you know, literally sort of uh, uh, destroying us and, you know, has has ripped us apart. Now, Rasulullah never allowed that to happen. And it's not that they didn't have, I mean, the, the Arabs of that time were among the most racist, the most uh, casteist, the most, uh, you know, uh, in terms Divided, of division. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they disagreed on practically anything you, you name. But he was mm. able to put them all together under one, where they genuinely loved each other, they genuinely respected each other, uh, and they were able to get over literally their own conditioning their lifelong conditioning, they were able to uh, jettison that and take the position of uh, which Rasulullah was promoting and this is a very, very big lesson and and this is something that we really, really need today and uh, which we must, uh, which we must really strongly work on.
0: Um, You know, the the quality of forgiveness and magnanimity. um, Wouldn't you say that, I don't know, in my experience, certain people have that as a personality trait you know certain people they they're not easily offended they you know like more easy going and and uh, they have that kind of natural leadership uh quality where you know they're not going to take things personally they try to mend rifts and do you think and they don't th- they don't like hold grudges you know um is that a quality that people can develop? Do you think some of these qualities are literally just hardwired? Um, or can all of them be things that you can learn and develop?
1: You know, my belief about this, is a, this is a question that's asked often about leadership. Is really? leadership, are leaders born or are they made? This is a yes,
0: question. exactly.
1: My um, My life experience, my study and my teaching over now 35-36 years, I believe that yes, it is possible that you are born with certain qualities, Uh, no doubt about that, but every one of those qualities can be learned. And second thing is that even if you are born with those qualities, somebody who spent time learning those qualities will always beat you if you didn't spend time learning them. So even those who are born with the qualities must make an effort to learn them systematically and practice them if they don't do that they will still fail against somebody who was not born with those qualities but who worked and they and and they acquired those qualities. So uh, making effort to uh, get those qualities which we need as leaders uh, it, it, it that's that that remains constant irrespective of whether you're born with the qualities or not. Now how does then how does being born with it how does it help well if you're born with it it'll be easier for you the effort will not be so so difficult for you uh and inshallah you know you can do that much more comfortably uh less stressfully and so on but if somebody is determined to do something nothing in the world that can stop them because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the world this way anyone who makes an effort will get what they made the effort for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, for the human being, there's nothing except what he works for. So if you work for it, you will get it. Some get it easier, some get it more with more with more effort. So what? If I want it badly enough, I'm willing to work for it.
0: Um Sheikh, how can a person, you know, who's listening to this um, apply leadership during this pandemic, you know, during this difficult period where there's lockdown, things have changed. How, how would you advise them, you know, what, what would you like to see? How would you like to see people manifest leadership during I, this pandemic?
1: I would say, work with this basic principle to say, how can I help others? And then mm. do whatever is in your power to help others. Maybe the way to help others is to wear a mask. Right, Because I don't want, uh, I want to protect myself also, but I also don't want to be the cause of somebody else getting infected because if I am asymptomatic, I am still carrying the stuff and I may infect somebody else. So I'm helping others by wearing a mask. Right? Uh, There are people, elderly people especially, uh, who are locked down at home. Uh, Maybe they need some groceries, food and so on. I know that. I know that a lot of Muslims and a lot of Muslim organizations are doing fantastic work uh, with this, but participate in that work. So donate money for that, take food to them, you know, make sure leave the food out at their, on, the, on their doorstep or something. Make sure that in your neighborhood, nobody is suffering uh, for want of help uh, because of the, of the pandemic. So I'm saying, say to yourself, how can I help others? Now you might say, well, what about me? But automatically you will get help. Your own mood will improve, you will feel more positive, uh, you will feel more country as, as, as you will be and feel more uh, happier as a contributing uh, member of society. Thank you. Mm, Very
0: khairan, yeah, great advice. It, it reminds me of this uh, saying. Do you would you agree with this saying that if you want to address your problems, go out and find a bigger problem and to deal with
1: without yeah. a doubt? Without a doubt. I think it's a very, Mm. it's a very good thing. Because, you know, when you focus on other people and uh, focus on helping other people, you automatically help yourself.
0: So is is that just through the good feeling you get from helping other people? Or is there something else in there?
1: Well, one one is we get ajar from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <clears throat> because of this blessing from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, it generally does wonderful things for you. Allah puts barakah in your in your own life, makes you feel good because you feel okay. I'm now contributing to something which is worthwhile. And then, of course, doors open. I mean, you know, this is there. There are some things which really you can't explain. But if you if you work on helping others, you find things just happen for you.
0: I guess also because you get a chance to see people who might be struggling more than you, it yeah, puts yeah. your problems into yes. perspective, right? Yes. And
1: you know, makes take you thankful. For example, take, for example, the uh, issue of paying zakat, right? Now, the recommendation in our religion is for the person who's paying the zakat to actually physically take it to the person to whom they are giving and give it to them. Right, wherever yeah. pos- I mean, obviously you can you can donate to organizations, whatever. But ideally speaking, go and now why? Because the 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 wisdom behind it is that if I go to this person to whom I am supposed to give zakat and I am going with my two point five percent of my wealth, whatever it is, I go there and I find that you know I am going to give them fifty pounds, but look at their house, look at the children, look at their needs. I mean, this fifty pounds is gone in one week. Mm -hmm. So, what's the good of that? However, I am capable of giving 500 pounds. I am capable of giving 5000 pounds. So, now when I see their situation, I am motivated to do much more than what I would have done. So, this whole issue of getting physically and personally engaged in helping others, this is hugely beneficial uh, for society at large and really at the end of the day, it makes you feel you know, really, very nice. You say, I mean, I was able to do something and contribute in something which
0: is uh, so worthwhile. thank you so much. You shared so many gems, and some of the things you've said, uh, I felt I feel like I needed to hear. You know, in my own in my own projects and my own work. Um, Sheikh, uh, just to leave our listeners and viewers with any lasting or parting advice or any parting thoughts
1: you know i would say we are just coming into ramadan inshallah in the next few days it will be ramadan we ask allah Subhanahu to give us ramadan in with good health and with good iman and with the free time to make the most of it uh, i think one of the things linking it back to the pandemic i can think of so many of my friends who were with us last ramadan which are not who are not with us this Ramadan because they died in between. Um, yes. um, my question to myself is, did they know that that Ramadan was going to be their last? They didn't, right? Mm. Do I know whether this Ramadan will be my last? I don't. But what I do know is that there will be some Ramadan before I die which will be the last Ramadan of my life. Whether it is this one, whether it is the next one, whether it is one ten years later, we don't know. Whichever it is, right? Now, therefore, I would say, treat every Ramadan as if it is going to be your last. So, I I wish all the viewers to, may Allah give you lots of Ramadan in your life and in good health and so on, but treat everyone, including this one. So, now we are coming to Ramadan, make sure that this is the best Ramadan that we have had in our lives and i think that's what i would yeah that's what i would like to like to say and uh, again i would say that the sirah of rasulullah is the most important resource that we have as muslims for this world today 21st century and therefore i think that studying the sirah must become a absolutely critical focus in all our religious and secular teaching institutions
0: Absolutely yes.
1: Without a doubt, it's a, it's a absolutely. I mean, you know, it it boggles my mind that in our uh, dini curriculum we do not mm-hmm. teach seerah. There is no subject of sirah in our in our teaching curriculum. Sira is taught by the way when people are reading hadith and uh, and so on and some fiqh. But Siratul Nabi as a subject is not a subject. It is not taught. It is not studied. It is not the students are not examined yes. Right? There is no there is no timetable. There is no uh, period of Siratul Nabi in the regular timetable in our in, including in our dini madaris. I mean, it really blows my mind. How can you even call yourself a Islamic school or a Madarsa? If you are not teaching the seerah, the biography, the life of Muhammad, wa sallam, I would say you can't even call yourself. I mean, what kind of thing is that? The, the founder of Islam, the one who brought Islam to us, Islam came from Adam, but the one who brought Islam to us, we don't want to study his life as a specific right. subject of study. So
0: in detail, yes, about. exactly. In
1: detail. In detail. And then and, and apply to our life today because Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala said this. Allah said, hmm. So Allah said, Study the life of my wasallam and apply it in your lives. I mean, this is what this is what that ayat actually means. It's not an academic thing. Oh, the life is, is a good thing. So you know. No, no, no. Yeah. Why is Allah? Why is Allah even mentioning that?
0: Because well, of- you know, Sheikh, okay. I, I think yeah. um, like in some of the new madaris in Britain anyway, like the Islamic studies uh, classes and stuff, they do teach seerah as a separate subject. I think they have okay. re- recognized obviously the people who are forward thinking and they understand that um, the significance. Been- but but I'm really uh, surprised often when I talk to du'at, especially people like literally involved in da'wah full time sometimes that they have very little knowledge of the sirah like they have they they know little glimpses but yeah. they've never um it's basically a discipline they've never disciplined themselves to study the sirah from beginning to end without it being filtered out without any bits being filtered out or without any bits being you know only selectively taught they've never looked at the panoramic view of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's life in all the different situations and we need that right now right because we're living we're living in all of those different situations
1: we need to interpret that in the modern context this is what i've tried to do in this book leadership lessons from the life of Rasulullah is an interpretation of the seerah in a modern context there's a second book i wrote after this called seerah is the answer so that's another that's another Mm, one i need to get that book yeah it's called sira is the answer, uh, the answer. and uh, that book also is based on this so i'm just saying that even the studying of the sira to me it's not just a story right he was born no. this happened, that happened for the island.
0: exactly yes
1: are talking about so what
0: how we should be I studying apply? it as strategy right we should be yes, looking for happening. the strategy yes. in it the... how
1: do i apply it in my life mm. how does this thing apply to me <laughs> I'm not talking like, about the the salam of it. I'm not talking about you know this is good from bad akhirah in this dunya.
0: Mm.
1: What can I do? And Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala gave his his, his habib. He gave his Rasul a life which quite literally encompasses practically every situation that we might find ourselves in life. This is the this is one of the most yes. comprehensive and the, one of the most complete lives that anyone ever uh, lived and on top of that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala thanks to the to, to his wives to the to Mutaharat, our mothers and thanks to the sahaba ajmain allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused this life to be preserved in such inter- intricate and intimate detail that no one's life is preserved like that now there mm. is a reason for that why did allah cause this thing to be preserved in such detail because this is so that yes. it's a resource for us to use and it's a it, it's really a you know a, a tragedy if we don't use it
0: absolutely jazakallah, jazakallah thank you sheikh so much um you know may allah bless you may you have i hope you have a great ramadan inshallah and I mean, Eid I mean, as well And you. Uh, my dad uh, i think the last time i met you was with my dad yes uh, so you know oh, inshallah um he does remember you often so exactly. alhamdulillah
1: yeah please give my salams to uh Bukhita, and also to my brother inshallah. salim he's a, he's a dear inshallah. brother i haven't, haven't heard from him for a long time and we, we are both from the same tribe of mughals so it's
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> it's i i think wonderful. he i think he would like to speak to you actually after this inshallah oh, wonderful, wonderful <laughs> yeah man. so he'll he'll just speak to you for a little while once i've um signed off oh, wonderful. uh but thank you so much and uh, where can people where's the best place for people to find you or to find your work if if they'd like to you know listen
1: me just, and we'll you read should i send you a link that's the link is probably yeah here. you can
0: say, you can send the link you can, you can say it as well if you want
1: okay so it's know. uh it, on, on youtube uh we have our channel uh which is uh M. Yavar Big. that's the end of it. So, it's youtube.com, M. Okay. Yavar yep. Big as one word, M-Y-A-W-A-R-B-A-I-G, right? And uh, then for my corporate work and my blogs and so on is the website, my website, which is yawarbeg.com. Okay. So, I think these two, um, these two are the best links. And of course, I will also, uh, I'll send you the, the link as well, inshallah.
0: And and they can still, they can listen to your podcast, the Fajr Reminders, are they still?
1: They're, yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, the Fajr Reminders, the simplest way for anybody is, if you're using an iPhone, go to iPhone Podcasts and yes. search for Fajr Reminders. That's the, yeah, the, probably the, the first vimla. thing that comes up. Uh, yes. And if you are on Android, then go to uh, Podcast Addict or any of the podcast programs on Android. And again, search for Fajr Reminders and that's the first thing that will... Uh, pop-up that has the Fajr reminders and also my Juma uh, lectures are on this. Uh, okay. So, alhamdulillah, okay. I will, I will, uh, when we finish, I will email you all the links. Uh, Absolutely. Those who want to get them uh, on a chat program, uh, they, we, we put them up on Telegram. So they can, if they download Telegram, which is free, and then they look for daily reminders so there's a group called Daily Reminders. So just download Telegram and uh, then click on Daily Reminders, and uh, you can get them on that. So Alhamdulillah. Uh, whatever, whatever you know is best for you.
0: Khair. Inshallah, we, we we hope we can invite you back in the future as well to talk yeah, about yeah. other to topics. Yeah, khair. This,
1: uh, this pandemic, Inshallah, may Allah uh, you know relieve us all from it, so we can. Uh, go back to traveling. I miss yes, yes,
0: Okay, <laughs> then, chef. salamu alaikum.
1: Wa alaikum assalam. Wa
0: okay, so jazakallah khairan, dear brothers and sisters, for listening in. Please share this episode with other people. You know, as you can see, it was just full of so many gems, especially about leadership and leadership in our own lives. And you know, whether you're the leader or the head of an organization or a project or you know even a family uh, i think all of us can benefit um please share it please like the episode and tell more and more people about this podcast inshallah jazakumullahu khairan and i will see you next time inshallah subhanak allahumma wa bihamdik ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu wa wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh